You're listening to the launch episode of the Full of Hope podcast. I'm R.J. Hurd, and today you'll hear the first of three parts to the story of Ryan Kiggins, our podcast host. We'll discuss the goals of the podcast, and Ryan will share the beginning of his journey as a leukemia survivor. We're going to rely on you to grow our podcast, so please share it with anyone and everyone, because with so many options for things you can watch, read, and listen to, shouldn't one of them keep you full of hope? And now, your host, Ryan Kiggins. Hey, this is Ryan, and uh, I just have to say, I'm brand new at this. I'm not a professional. I've really not figured out a great way to introduce the podcast, so... I just kind of jumped into the conversation with RJ, even though uh, his voice doesn't appear till minutes into the podcast. So anyway, I just wanted to record this so it's not just jumping straight into the conversation. I also want to preemptively apologize for the number of times in this particular episode I say the phrase launch episode. It's not wrong. That's what this is. But I have no idea why I said it so many times. My apologies. And uh, let's get on with the show. I wanted to start off, since this is the launch episode, I wanted to start off just giving some background on like why I wanted to do this podcast and what I hope to get out of it. So the first couple episodes or few episodes are going to be me just sharing my story. So I won't get knee deep into that right now, but essentially I'm a leukemia survivor. And after I survived, I got involved fairly quickly in some fundraising efforts and I'm giving some speeches and interviews and stuff like that to raise money for uh, leukemia research. And, and frankly, I got a lot. I, I really enjoyed doing that. I'm somebody who's always been comfortable doing public speaking and kind of enjoying that. And then also being able to share a really positive outcome from a, a scary diagnosis with other patients I really love being able to do that. And I actually thought um, it was possible, like that's kind of what my life was going to end up, like the path I was going to head down, right? Which is, is doing that type of thing. Because I was doing fairly regular events a few a year, and then it kind of tapered off over time. And so it never really, that part of of my life never really came to fruition. I was doing some other stuff relative to patient support and things like that. And I'll talk about that in a later episode of the podcast, but probably for the last five or so years, I've just kind of felt unsettled. Like I'm not doing something I should be doing. And I have a great job that I'm happy in, in my work and family and all that kind of stuff. But I've just felt unsettled, like some, I need to be doing something different. And a few months ago, a buddy of mine from high school got in touch with me and we just kind of reconnected. And, and he started talking to me about the fact that he wanted to do a podcast. And I was like, you know, I'd given it some thought and I was like, I think I want to do a podcast too. And I think, I think this medium might be really cool for essentially reaching out to people, connecting with people who have been through scary experiences like I had and who have come out on the positive side and just let them share their story so that other people who are, you know, maybe facing similar or the same situations, they can actually have somebody to go listen to, right? Like yeah. hear what they did, what they went through, like what they learned to cope and deal with everything that they had to, you know, had to deal with. So 
I got really excited about the idea of doing this as a podcast. And so that's the goal of, of this podcast is, you know, if, if I were to say, you know, what would a dream come true vision be for this thing? I would love to have just a backlog of people who want to share their stories with us and a ton of people who have shared their stories to, to inspire others, to share hope and really just in, encourage others. Cause I, I found, you know, I think I'll, probably talk about this at some point in one of the episodes, but you know, the people that had positive attitudes and optimism and really frankly hope were the ones that I saw that did the best in my experience. And I think, you know, I think that'll hold true. So really just hoping that the listeners of this podcast will, you know, reach out to us with people they know or themselves, right. To share their story on the podcast so that as many people as possible can give stories and as many people as possible can hear them. So that's, that's really the goal. Yeah. And I've, goal anyway. I've worked with you for a while and, um, you know, yeah. I appreciate the opportunity and, you know, yeah, you'd asked me to, to jump in, right. It's probably a little bit easier than just talking to a camera by yourself. Totally. Yeah. That's the thing. So, you know, that's a great point, RJ. The reason I asked RJ to be my co-host on this thing was just what he said, like the idea of just starting by sharing my story, right. That feels super weird, just doing it in a in a vacuum, like talking to myself. So I thought, well, that it'd be it'd be nice to have somebody to share it with and and have have it be kind of conversational, right? And then I thought, really, that I think that's going to be the case for everybody we talk with. Like, I would love to be able to have somebody along the ride with me, um, to help me keep things conversational with whoever we're talking to. And so thinking about just needing to have a co-host you know, some of the things that are, were really important to me, it was that that person be likable, somebody who relates with other people, somebody who asks good questions, somebody who's curious. And RJ and I met, gosh, five or six years ago yeah. in a one year rotational job. And we worked together the whole year. And after that year, I was like, this is no joke. Like, this sounds like I'm kissing up, but this is no joke. I was like, RJ Hurd is the favorite person I've ever worked with at this company. And it's, it's for all those reasons. You're, you're one of those people that when, when you meet somebody, they feel like they've known you forever. You are really curious and ask great questions. You're just a positive, optimistic guy and super funny. And any opportunity I have to work with you, that's know, perfect. Man. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, and also it's that, it's that bass. That, that, is that a baritone? Is that I thought a, it was my height. I, well, yeah, that's everybody, a, little, a little bit of baritone. Everybody's taller than me. So you're not unique in that aspect, but I'm telling you, you like this, I'm, I'm going to let this podcast serve as your audition tape for voiceover work. Okay, so I'm just yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so I think I'll first I'll first start talking about just the beginning, really, like initial symptoms, kind of what led me to go investigate something, right? So, um, when, like how old you were and your family, right? What, what, yeah. What's your situation? I mean, just as you know, yeah. So I was 30 years old. Um, so I'm I'm 43 now. And my wife was same age as me. Um, I had two little girls. So Madison was five. Haley was a year and a half. So really young girls, you know, mm -hmm. young, young wife. 
everything was great. Like I was, I worked out regularly. I didn't, I didn't do anything, you know, risky, no risky behavior or anything like that. I was, you know, a generally pretty healthy person. And I started getting in, it was maybe November, December of 2007. I, I started getting, like, I had a really bad sore throat. And I think that timeline is right, but it's somewhere around there. I had a really, really bad sore throat and neck pain like I'd never had before. So just out of nowhere, it, it wasn't from working out or I hadn't, I didn't remember pulling anything, but I just remember waking up one day and I could barely move my neck and um, a little bit of low back pain as well. But, but really it was massive, massive neck pain and a really, a really sore throat. And so now like in today's time, right? Like that would be, oh, you're not going into work. You're not going into work. You're certainly going to go figure out like if you've got COVID or whatever, but, but back then it's like, well, I have a sore throat. I'll just, you know, I won't shake anybody's hand or whatever, but I'm still going into work and just kind of living my life. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking by a guy that that I worked with in the hallway and he's like, Hey, Ryan, what's, what's going on with you? And I was, I was like, I, I don't know what's going on with you. <laughs> like, how, how you doing? And he's like, dude, you look like death warmed over. I'll never forget those three words, death warmed over. And I was like, really? Like that's, that's pretty huh. straightforward. Thanks buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Oh gosh, that's, that's bizarre. But that same day I was just driving to lunch and my neck hurt so bad when I was driving to lunch that I couldn't, I, I couldn't turn my head to like look in the other lanes. And so rather than change lanes, which I needed to do to go to where I was going to lunch, I just stayed in the same lane I was at and followed the turn that was for the lane I was in. Cause I was going to the Czech medical place. I was like, something's wrong. Like, this is not normal. I got to go figure out what's going on. And you know, I've, I've got a history of cancer in my family. You always hear about people that, you know, find out late in the game, right. That something's wrong. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be one of those people. So what you weren't think at that time you were thinking, Oh my God. Well, could this be cancer? I was, what I was thinking was something is this pain in my neck and back was really, really severe. So honestly, I thought of something maybe with my bones, right? Maybe it could be bone cancer. I, I had no idea, but I just wanted to figure it out. And so I went to a, the Czech medical place right near my work and they took my temperature. I found out I had 104 uh, temperature, wow. which was which was strange because I didn't feel yeah, that, any that, fever at all. That's enough to, I mean, hey. Yeah, something's something's wrong. And 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 they also tested me for strep throat, which I had. So they're like, well, that's why you're you have an elevated fever uh, is because you've got strep throat. And they also did an MRI. Or maybe they just did a, an x-ray. I think at that place they did an x-ray. I found out that I had a slip disc in my back. And so all of those, those three things kind of explained what I was going through. And so I went to physical therapy for my back. My strep throat went away. The fever went away. I started taking my temperature regularly. The fever went away. And the physical therapy helped with my back and neck pain. 
So, you know, problem solved, right? And then a couple months later, maybe a month later, I woke up one day and my eye was really swollen. So uh, like my eyelid, have you ever had a sty or heard of, heard of a sty? Yeah. So it was like I had a sty in my, which your eyelid just swells up really, really big. And it's kind of painful. Um, And I had that in my eye. And I also had um, sore back, mostly neck, but also back and really sore throat again, all on the same day, just kind of woke up and it was like that out of nowhere again, virtually the exact same symptoms, except with this new swollen eye thing. So I thought, well, that's not, this is weird. That's not definitely not normal. So then I decided I'd go to a different check medical place, one of the dock in the box places, but, but a different one from the one I'd gone to, because they clearly, they didn't do something right. So I went into one close to my house this time. And um, when I was talking with the technician or the nurse, I don't remember who, but I was telling them all my symptoms. And I, I told them, or asked them, I, I said, so I've got a swollen eye and, and back pain and, and a sore throat. What could, what could tie all those symptoms together? And the person laughed at me and like, it actually pissed me off, but they laughed at me. They're like, yeah, I, oh, the thing I didn't mention was the slip disc. I had been in a car accident like a year before that. And so that kind of, that they believed that that was related to the car accident. And it was just, I hadn't noticed the pain or whatever before. So the second time at this Czech medical place, um, they were like, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure a car accident you were in a year ago, isn't going to cause your eye to swell and you'd have a sore throat, super condescending, (laughs) make me feel like a total idiot. And, um, which they were right. Uh, that's not what I was specifically, <laughs> I didn't think a car accident led to a, anyway. Yeah. So that was unsatisfactory. That visit though, they had no answers for anything. They just basically sent me away. Um, you know, don't know what to tell you. Our goal at the full of hope podcast is to hear from and share with as many people as possible. This is where we need your help. Please tell your friends and family about us so that we can grow. If you want to share your story, go to fullofhopepodcast.com and fill out the form on the Get On Our Podcast page. Or search for Full of Hope Podcast on all social media platforms and reach us there. We ourselves are full of hope that we can help thousands of people, but we can't do it without your help. So thank you for helping us grow. The next couple days, my back and neck started hurting so bad that I remember I had to stay home from work. I don't remember <clears throat> if I if I worked or not, but um, if I got paid to work, I definitely worked. Just for the record, um, <laughs> to, to, to my bosses and coworkers, definitely. If I was paid to work, I was working very hard. Um, but. I had to stay at home because I couldn't, I couldn't get out. Like I I could barely walk. It was really, really my back and neck was so bad. And um, I remember my neighbor came over to my house and uh, I heard, I heard her talking to my wife at the, our front door. I was upstairs in our bedroom and I remember them talking. And I remember Jen, uh, my wife, um, she was really upset and saying, you know, I don't know what's, 
wrong with Ryan, but I feel like he's going to die. Something, something's really, really wrong. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is. And, um, and she decided, my wife decided that, you know, it's time to go to a real doctor, essentially kind of in that conversation. And by the way, I was, I was really taken aback just hearing that from, from up in my bedroom. Cause I guess I thought I was either downplaying or just wasn't that serious. Like, I, you know, my back hurts. So what type of thing, but I must've looked really bad or, or, or something. And so she was really concerned. And so she, she scheduled a, an appointment at, uh, at, I, I think it was at Virginia Mason in Seattle which, you know, as far as we knew, that's a great hospital in, 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 you know, a big metropolitan area. And so that's the right thing to do is just go, you know, to a general practitioner, get a workup, you figure out, figure out what's, what's going on. And so, you know, I think that'd be for, for anybody listening to the podcast, I, I, I think that'd just be the first piece of advice I'd give, which is, you know, have your blood work done regularly, first of all, um, and, and have a doctor. I, I didn't have, I didn't have a doctor. I, you know, I, yeah. I, the last time I'd had any kind of physical was when I was in college as an athlete and, you know, required to go through those to play sports, but I, I'm almost certain I probably hadn't visited real, a real doctor since, since college. So get a practitioner mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, get regular workups. Um, it, it's an easy thing to do, but, yeah. uh, but it's just, I think maybe, you know, it, at least the guys that I know, that's more of a guy thing is just to kind of not so much take care of yourself. Right. Yeah. Medically. Wait till you get a cold, right. Wait till you get neck pain and <laughs> your eye swells. throat and, and your eye swells and they go, hmm, okay. Yeah. Perk up. Yeah. I'll take some aspirin. Yeah. Rub some dirt on it. Um, so anyway, I went, I went to, to get some blood work done and this was on good Friday. I remember. So I'm, I'm at the, at the hospital good Friday. And by the time I had the appointment was, it was maybe a week or two after that before they could get me in. Um, by the time I had the appointment, I felt fine. Zero symptoms at all. My, my neck didn't hurt, no back pain, my eye swelling had gone away, no fever, no sore throat, nothing. I felt like a million bucks. And I almost just didn't even bother going, but, but my wife was really concerned and she'd, you know, she'd taken the trouble of doing some research to make the appointment for me. And so, um, so went ahead and, and went there and I'm talking with the practitioner or the, um, yeah, general practitioner and, telling him what had happened before with the weird, you know, the, the strep throat and the fever and the neck, pain, all, all the stuff I'd had. And he's like, yeah, I'm just, I, I'm not, I'm not sure what it, what it could be, but I don't remember if he suggested, probably he suggested just getting a, a some blood work done, which hadn't been done yet. So this was now probably four months after the first kind of weirdness. Wow. And it's came, came and gone, right? It's come and gone. I'd gone to therapy, physical therapy, and felt fine. Um, Yeah, you know, 
it was just kind of ebb and flow of feeling like crap and feeling just completely fine. So anyway, went and had blood work done. And in the lab, I remember the, my appointment was late in the day and the lab had closed like two minutes before we finished talking and he had suggested going going in and getting the blood work done so he he was able to actually call somebody and have them reopen up the lab just to do my right. blood work just as a precautionary thing and um i frankly i, I felt kind of good about that because my thought was oh jesus it has been forever in fact i don't know i don't know when last i'd had my blood work just tested just for general, you know how they can do general labs and stuff like that yeah. to make sure everything. I don't know if I'd even ever had that done. So I thought, well, this would be good. I'm 30 years old. I'll figure out if, you know, if I have anything that I need to be aware of. Yeah. And um, so I had, had the blood work done, which by the way, I was, I was one of those, well, most people are, but did not like shots. You know, like I'm one of those, those, I, you don't, yeah. I didn't want to look when they're doing it and all that kind of stuff, oh, just kind of wimpy around shots. So, so well, you're so like masculine outside of that. I'm I am just, such I'm a so, so, burly. I, I, know, I know. Isn't that weird? It's incongruent with just my general being, but just that one, I'm allowed to have one thing to be okay. scared. Oh, and I, I guess, yeah, that's, that's a pretty scary. common thing. Yeah. Yeah. But so that was funny because I remember walking down to the, the lab and just kind of dreading it going oh god this is gonna be brutal i hate i hate having having needles put in me but um i think that's that's pretty normal too but um you know buck up people if if you're listening <laughs> it doesn't hurt it, i swear to god the average person hurts themselves probably 10 times a day more painfully than a needle from getting a blood draw hurts just like dumb things that you do hurt, hurt more frequently than that. anyway good, good advice there yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's just me maybe it's constantly way worse don't hurt yourself on purpose but um i mean incidentally right or maybe i'm just klutzy but anyway so it was late in the day so i got home mm -hmm. and um we're just kind of you know relaxing at home it's good friday uh probably hanging with the kids i think we were watching a movie or something like that and my phone rang at nine o'clock or so at night and um, it was the hospital. And they informed me that I was acutely ill and that um, I needed to check my temperature every hour. And if it got above 101, that I needed to drive there to their ER because I was acutely ill. And I was, of course, I'm. That's it, I'm, though. Nothing specific. Well, just I would say you were sicker than yeah. <laughs> it was kind of funny because that's what they said was just acutely ill, and I, I and I I remember asking, "What does that? I don't even know what that means. What, like, what are you ill with? What?" And they said, "You either have lymphoma or leukemia," is what they told me. But on the, on the first, on the yeah, first that night, call. that first okay. night, um, it's either we believe it's either lymphoma leukemia and it's because i had really really low white blood cell counts and some other some other stuff but they couldn't tell me um that day because they had to have a pathologist look at the results um the next day and you know kind of let me know more more to come right so and keep in mind i felt completely fine so 
when they told me it was an issue with my blood counts, I remember just going on the internet to find things that explain, you know, blood, blood count issues. And so one of them was, um, one of them I found. So I I'm at this point I'm bargaining, like I'm deciding what it's okay for me to have and what it's not. Leukemia and lymphoma sound terrible. So I'm, I'm passing on that, but I'm, I'm looking for other alternatives. So I found, um, What's the what's the one where you're sleepy, really tired? Um, mono. So mono was one of them that I was willing to have, um, and then uh, HIV was another one. Oh, and and I you know I saw that and I I thought well you know people live you know a, a long life with HIV now we've got medication to take care of that and and I'd have had several surgeries in my life where, um, you know, there were transfusions and, and, you know, lots of, lots of stuff with needles and blood and stuff like that. So I thought maybe somehow, you know, that's what happened. So anyway, those were the so things. You were, I, yeah. You were, you're okay with mono or HIV, right? At this point, you're like, at that point, I'll take those over. That's what I thought for sure. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That was, that's where my head was at. So I got a call the next day. And the pathologist let me know that uh, they were quite certain that I had an acute leukemia. So they believed leukemia. They knew it was acute. So there are there are chronic leukemias and acute leukemias. And um, the acute ones are are more aggressive than than the chronic leukemias are, and more more aggressive and and risky and deadly and all those kinds of things. Um, and so when I heard that, that's of course worse, right? News than it, it could have been. But, but what they did tell me is that, well, the chronic leukemias, we can never really say you're, you're, you know, quote cured. Sure. Um, it's something you just have to deal with your whole life. So I, I kind of thought, well, okay, well, let's figure this out and we'll get rid of it and then and move on. Right. So, so far I'm okay with, with what I'm being dealt with. <laughs> I'm not happy about it, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just dealing right. So I had, um, I had an appointment then with an oncologist at the same hospital pretty quick. I maybe Monday or something. Well, like okay. That. So your wife's right there, right? She's, you know, with this conversation you've been having on the phone, what, what, I, I mean, you seem to be, you're like, well, it's not HIV, but I'll take it, I guess. And, what, yeah. what is she like? I mean, is so we're both in right? shock. Just to be honest, we're both in complete shock. Scared, obviously, you know, scared. Um, but I don't think at that at at that point in the game, because I'd felt so good still, mm -hmm. um, I was a little bit into well, definitely into not, I, I was convinced they were wrong or that they were confused type of thing. So I don't even think we really, we cried or, you know, we didn't, we didn't get, I don't think, I don't think we got all, all that, you know, upset by it yet. Obviously she was, you know, supportive and, and concerned, but not, you know, just based on the information we had, again, I was pretty convinced they were, they were wrong. So the next step is to but go. You're so smart though. 
I mean, from what <laughs> I I, from what I know, you're you're really right. smart. So yeah, I so much about I understand. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I know a lot about um, leukemia in general, right? Like I knew nothing. Yeah, uh, now of, you do yeah. of any of it. But anyhow, so the next step is go to an oncologist. So went to an oncologist, and I. I want to say they had done a bone marrow biopsy. So the, the bone marrow biopsy is, is a test where essentially they take a needle, they stick it into a bone in your back mm. and pull out bone marrow. Yeah. It's no, it's no joke. It's, it's, it's not a treat, but, but um, I found, a, I found a solution to that, that the pain from that, that I'll probably talk about later, but um, so she had, she had more detailed and kind of definitive, definitive results, I guess, that were more, I guess, tangible or real. But um, I, I knew that the, kind of what they found from the bone marrow biopsy was going to be, you know, that's likely it's going to be what, what those results yeah. are. Yeah. So she told me, um, you know, that it was an acute leukemia um, and it was actually a type of leukemia that um, so they, acute leukemias can either affect your, um, your blood system or your lymphatic system. So, um, the one that affects your blood system is called AML and the one that affects your, uh, lymphatic systems, ALL. What I had was, um, before your cells divide and decide if it's going to be a, a blood cell or a lymphatic cell, that's what had leukemia in me. So I had both. Wow. And AML and ALL, which is really, really rare. It's called undifferentiated leukemia. Um, really, really rare. Extremely, uh, you know, acute leukemias in general are, are aggressive, but this is very, a very aggressive type of that with very, very few data points on, on how to treat it really. But what they, what she did tell me that first appointment is you're going to have to have a, uh, a bone marrow um, transplant or stem stem cell transplant same same yeah. thing just different different methods of getting the stem cells um so you're gonna have to have a transplant to survive and to get to have a transplant we have to get you into remission first so you know that that was kind of the what she laid out and she said you know we don't do transplants here at, at virginia mason those are done um through the cancer care alliance in seattle seattle cancer care alliance and they're a worldwide leader in transplantation and so we're just going to refer you over there essentially was was the plan and then um she asked if i had any other questions um and it's interesting because I, uh, I remember making eye contact with her and I asked her, you know, I just wanted to know, it's one of those things where you ask a question almost like I thought it was rhetorical because I was looking, I want hoping for a certain response, but I said, Hey, you know, I'm a 30 year old guy and you know, my wife is really young. I, I've got two young kids um, I'm the primary breadwinner for our family. I, you know, I guess, I guess my question or my concern is, I, I guess just based on what you're saying, my concern is that I might check into the hospital and, and never check out and fully expecting, you know, I'd, I'd say that and she go, Oh, hold on. You know, that, you know, there were, this is way premature to no. she was crying. She had 
tears like coming out of her eyes and she's like you know um unfortunately that's that's a very realistic outcome for you and that's when shit got real like that felt just like the biggest kick in the gut ever right i mean that's i think that i I think that might have been the first time i just probably started crying right, right right there i i remember um leaving that room and having to go set up a a referral appointment so i had to do something there at virginia mason and i remember standing in line trying wait you know waiting to set that up and i was cr- like I, I was crying so hard that i i couldn't like i almost couldn't talk like i was just completely <clears throat> devastated you know and was with you Right yeah, Jen, Jen was with me. Um, I think, she, you know what? She held it together better than she was. It, it was really amazing. Um, I mean, I'm sure she cried at that point, but um, in general, like all of her throughout the entire ordeal, really, uh, that that I went through, all of the like the fear and suffering and all that kind of stuff that she did, she really did it in private. Like it was with me it was nothing but optimism and support and just i I don't know i didn't have any of that um i what could have felt like weight you know on on my shoulders from her you know but i had it but it didn't come from her you know what i mean yeah um so i was extremely lucky in that way um and fortunate and thankful for her for her you know, reaction to all that stuff. But, but, um, the, the one thing I do want to say that I, that was funny. So, um, in that first appointment, um, a couple days before that appointment, I'd had something, something happen in, uh, in my like booty area that I'd never had before. And it felt like a growth or something. Like it just didn't feel feel normal, so I had <laughs> I got to figure all this stuff out, right? Like I didn't know if this was to do had something to do with the leukemia or whatever. So that that poor lady, that poor first <laughs> oncologist. Now keep in mind, oncology is a specialty, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> so you know, she gets done essentially, you know, kind of crying with us and 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 giving us this really tough news. And then finally it's time to leave. And I was like, well, Hey, before, before I leave, I got to ask you something else. <laughs> I was like, I gotta, I gotta have you take a look at something. So, so then it's me like up on the chair, like legs up, like in, I don't think there were stirrups. I imagine stirrups though. Like in I'm trying oncology. not to imagine, but <laughs> you're, you're painting a picture that's going to get burned into my memory that's what i pictured to do it but but either way either way she had to she had to take a look at my at my butt so uh she informed me it was a it was a um a hemorrhoid right which i'd never i'd never had before but that was um wasn't a leukemia hemorrhoid or <laughs> just a normal old hemorrhoid run of the mill. like a hand it didn't it was just a standard run of them but i'd never had it before so that was another treat um just you know insult to injury right so well yes. having to ask about it <laughs> hey doc it's yeah well so that's a, you know that's a, i guess another thing um 
it, you know, a lot of these things, it, depending on, you know, the, the whatever the listeners are dealing with, a lot of things that you might have that are awkward to ask are that are preventing you from not talking to people and asking about it. God, you just got to get over it. Like you just, you know, the earlier that you can find out anything, anything funky that's going on with you, just find out what's, you know, go. So don't go to just a check medical play, like find out the, the, the part of your body that you need help with, go find out who specializes in that. Well, frankly, RJ, like you, yeah. like you were having some problem with your sinuses or whatever. And, and I was like, go to an ear and nose and throat specialist. And you did, and they fixed it. And right. Like, yeah. An ENT, you said, I said, what's that? Oh, ear, yeah. nose and throat. Oh, that makes sense. ENT. Sure. I dropped the That's, acronym just like that. Like I'm, a, you did. Well, I think you started off with it. I, I don't know why I remember that, but I remember going, I've never, I don't know what that is. It would have been funny if I had no idea what it stood for. Because <laughs> yeah. EMT is yeah. emergency yeah. medical technician, right? Yeah. 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 Anyway. Um, yeah. Go to the doctor people. Um, but that was essentially how I was, I was diagnosed, um, was, <clears throat> was through that, the bone biopsy and then, uh, and then I knew I was going to have to go go to the hutch to have, or or at least that was recommended, right? Locally, yeah. I was going to have right. to have a stem cell transplant. So, um, and at this point, there was some high level strategy, right? We got to get you to remission, and you will have a transplant, right? That's well, that's that's what the the first oncologist I talked to. That's what she said. Like that's. This is how you survive this. Is, well, she wasn't going to be your oncologist. They're referring you, but no, that's okay. No, and so what? What? And you know, for for those of you who don't know, the stem cell transplant or bone marrow transplant, same thing. It's just um, one method. They take the stem cells out of your bone marrow, and the, and the other method they take the stem cells just out of out of your your blood. So lots, lots of it, two different ways of ext- extracting stem cells from a donor. And basically what it does is it completely replaces your immune system with somebody else's immune system. And, um, and so that, that's what, you know, we knew we were going to have to go to, but I didn't it, it, just because I'm close to, to the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center, there's research to be done, right? It, like if this is the right place for me to go, because I wanted to go give myself the best possible chance. But before before talking about like all that stuff, I wanted to share a little bit just about where where I was at mentally after after getting that diagnosis. Cause I, you know, I said before I was kind of in denial. And then when I heard, you know, particularly probably more powerful than just the words where I'll never forget. I actually can still picture, and I have a horrible memory um, and actually some long-term and short-term memory loss from, from what I went through the treatments I went through, but I have a very vivid memory of that, that female doctor's face and just the tears in her eyes and concern. You know, I, I think she had, she was relatively young. She had, I think, a good degree of empathy, which was awesome. She was really, really awesome to talk, to talk, you know, to break that news to us. But um, after hearing that news, it's 
you know, mentally, I really, I have to say I struggled because I, I, I immediately went home and what would you, what would you have done? Like, what would have been the first thing that you did after hearing that news? Um, I mean, besides I, I'd called, I'd called people, which was incredibly challenging. Like, I, yeah. I think I would have done, try to, you know, get as smart as I could about mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Right. That, I'd go to Google. I'd, that's yeah. So it's exactly that was my thought too. Like, let's bone up on this. We'll figure out figure out what it looks like. And and essentially, you got to be honest, you're kind of looking for what are my survival odds, right? You know, who's who's been through this and, and what they do to beat it. And um, frankly, the the results I found were really, really negative, like really bad. And so that's another, I guess, just piece of advice for everybody it's got to be really, it is really challenging to not look for additional resources and research and stuff like that. But um, that put me in a, in a, you know, a negative headspace, I would say. And, and frankly, after an evening or two of just looking at, you know, forum results and hearing people's stories about how bad it was, I remember we were all watching TV together as a family and I asked Jen to, you know, come, come with me to another room in the house and the, the girls stayed at where they were. And um, I remember just hugging her and, uh, and telling her, I'm just not, we have to be realistic that I'm just not going to survive this. This is not, you know, look at the data. This is not something that, that I'm going to beat. And after, after, you know, I, I told her that I went upstairs to our room, I took, took our laptop upstairs and, and I just remember writing out um, notes to each of the girls separately. And um, it was that set of things that, that I thought that a, a dad should, should teach their daughter, like through, you know, through childhood and, and adulthood and just all that advice that, that I was positive. I wasn't going to be able to give to them in person. Uh, I just wanted to write it all down and, and, you know, make sure that, um, that they knew that they were the absolute center of my world and, and, and what they meant to me. And, you know, this was, was certainly not my choice to leave them this early. And, and all those things I wrote, I wrote in, in that letter. Um, um, the, the interesting thing about that now, now looking back on it, um, they're both much older now, right? 13 years older. So both, both teenage girls, it's, it's funny because I remember, remember being able to write it and I felt like this is really good stuff. Like this is really good advice. And, you know, I, I added humor to it. I wanted them to know my personality. And, and I remember thinking, oh, this is, they're just gonna, you know, when it's wedding time, right there, each of them had a different, you know, thing that I wrote about or when they have their first boyfriend or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, they're just gonna, I, I had no idea. Like, <laughs> how, I, I just imagine now like telling like, I wish I could be a fly on the wall. Like I'm glad I'm here with them, but like the idea of, of them reading something from me as like my genius advice to them as teenagers, it's like, Oh God, what is he talking about now? You know what I mean? It's just, 
I think the vision of them just pouring over these letters and just rev, right? Like, it's uh, so amazing and funny <laughs> at the same time. I mean, no, we've talked about this. Yeah, you don't have them anymore, right? The letters. No, so I'm super. I, I, I want to read them so bad. I'm so bummed out actually that I don't, but um, but pretty quickly after I wrote them actually. So it, it's interesting because I, I'd written those letters and then I want to say it was maybe that night, that evening or the next, it was very close in proximity to that. I remember it was, it was bedtime and uh, the girls were in bed and Jen and I were just laying uh, together and praying. So we'd started just praying together. And I remember it was, but it was strange because just out of nowhere in the middle of, of us praying, I felt this complete, it was like a physical warmth. Like my, I just got really warm and peaceful. And I felt like this calm that I don't, to this day, I don't think I've ever felt anything like it, but I remember having just a very profound, insane level of calm just come over, wash over me. And I think Jen was, was, was talking at, at the time. And, and I, I said, Jen, and kind of interrupted her. And she said, what? And I, and I told her, I said, I think it's going to be fine. I think this is going to be completely fine. I feel, I actually feel great. And she was taken aback because that wasn't where my headspace was at. Right. Just like earlier that, that same evening, but that she had the she was taken back because she was having the exact same experience where she said, I think it is too. And, and just, it, it's, it's really almost probably impossible to describe, but just this overwhelming peace and calm and this feeling that um, whatever happens is the right thing. And I had, so all of the, the fear uh, you know, obviously as a young dad, um, my biggest fear was, was leaving the, the kids and my wife too early, right? Like just not getting to, to experience, you know, life with them. And, but I had this incredibly overwhelming feeling that whatever happens, if, if I did need to leave early, that that's the right, that's what's supposed to happen, that, that somebody else. And I believe and, and still believe that that was God telling both of us, you know, I'm in control. Um, I've, I've got this, you just worry about, you know, other, th- other, we go find, find the place to go get treated, but, but I'm in control here. And, and ha- I don't think that I could have ever, I don't know that I could have ever gotten there without, you know, having that actual like physical and very tangible experience, which was very, very profound. And again, you know, I, I just feel like God was in the room with us that day and it it made himself, you know, almost visible. Like it it was just so I've never, to this day, I've never had an experience like it. Um, But I'll certainly never forget it. And um, it instantly calmed me. So that was kind of awesome. I mean, so the, from, from then on out, it was really interesting because we, so we did, we did research and figured out, you know, let's definitely go to, to Fred Hutch in Seattle. 
and we'll go see. We didn't know who to go see, but let's just get the earliest appointment we can with a leukemia specialist, and let's let's go tackle this thing. And I was completely, I did a complete 180. I was completely optimistic. I I knew we were doing the right thing, that the right thing was going to happen. I. <clears throat> I kind of vowed to myself not to to look to the internet anymore for for the answer about if I was going to live or die because because yeah. <laughs> they didn't they didn't quite know so I was done really looking looking elsewhere um, other than so kind of what the you know our mindset was let's figure out where to go listen to the plan and just do that plan. Let's just figure, right. Let's just figure out those steps. Um, and so we made an appointment and went to Fred Hutch, uh, which was very, very highly recommended. And um, a, again, a worldwide leader in transplants. And so sit down and waiting for the, the first, my oncologist to come in and he, he walks in with a nurse and she had a tape recorder in her hand. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. And she explained, or he did, I don't remember which, but one of them explained, you know, during these conversations, a lot of times people have a hard time retaining information. So it's important that we just record it. Makes total sense, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> so, you know, he had gotten the, the results from the other hospital and that doctor, mind you, and completely optimistic at this point. Right. So that doctor um, essentially said, hey, so, you know, looking looking at, you know, your prognosis, your your role in this activity is to you need to quit your job. Go ahead and just quit your job. Um, you probably haven't started one yet, but start your bucket list and just start going through it go ahead and play in the dirt, which I didn't get what that meant at the time. But when you're super, turns out when you're super immunosuppressed, like you get when you go through the, these treatments, dirt can be really, really dangerous because of bacteria and things that are in it, that if you don't have an immune system to fight even very, very simple things, like they're very deadly. But he, he advised me, quit work, work on your bucket list, play in the dirt. And, but ultimately you know, just sign the paperwork to donate your your body to us so that we can study it. You're not going to survive this, but you you can contribute to, you know, essentially the scientific effort of figuring out, you know, why some people are just, just as unlucky as you were to get this. And I mean, that's, you could probably imagine that's quite shocking to hear. You kind of hear stories about that doctor you know just are they going to be the ones to lift you up or are they going to just well break you down or yeah want that it, slap in the face of reality or do you i mean well the the other <clears throat> thing is the nurse was in there with him and just kind of like nodding her head in a great so i'm looking at her going what's this guy doing like this guy's out of his mind and the kind of conclusion I came to pretty quickly was, first of all, well, this guy's certainly not going to be my doctor, right? <laughs> like I'm, I'm not, I'm not, this guy is definitely not going to save me, not interested in it. It's not going to happen. But, um, you know, just as, you know, I felt the presence of God and, and that calm and peace that came with that, 
if I really believe in that, then you, I also believe in Satan, the devil. And I am 100% certain that I was in the room with wow. Satan in that wow. moment. Like it was so palpable and, and just that extreme warmth that I'd had with, with the, the peaceful feeling, it was the complete opposite of just, um, just, I, I was like repulsed by it, I guess. I don't know how else to say it, but, and I, and so I remember just kind of leaving uh, dumbfounded. I, I'm a pretty outspoken person generally. And so normally I would just push back and really, you know, have issues with that type of bedside manner and things like that. But I didn't say I was just completely dumbfounded. So I remember we left and, you know, we got in the elevator and we, Jen and I both just completely agreed. Okay. Well, that, that guy's out, he, you know, we've eliminated one person. Um, and we ran into his nurse down in the lobby and, um, or yeah, it had to be the lobby, but, um, it certainly wouldn't have been the bathroom because that would have been weird. No. Um, the Fairy Queen down the street? No, nah, that would have been unlikely. I mean, it's not impossible, but just unlikely. Lunch at the same time. I don't know. <laughs> you yeah. could. Yeah. So <laughs> I I remember asking her, okay, who else, who else can we we see? I, I need some other name. Who do you work with anybody else that you could refer? And she was just questioning why? What why what do you mean? And and I said, Are you kidding? I mean, that that guy's he's going to do nothing. I just don't feel good that he's going to do anything to cure me. And she was very, just matter of factly like, yeah, that's what he's, I mean, that's, he's a smart guy. That's the diagnosis. So essentially just like deal with it. Right. So, so then, you know, you go home and, and we're of course concerned with, with that just because time is important here. Yeah. And now we've eliminated kind of in our minds we're we're going well this was the place that we thought was supposed to be magic for us and it was a complete nightmare is this the wrong place in general or was that just the wrong person so sent out really just a call you know to to all our friends and family called a prayer really and and recommendations and advice what else do we do and and i got within a couple days i got a few referrals to this, the same one oncologist at, uh, at Fred Hutch as well. His name was Steven Petersdorf. Multiple people had referred him either for themselves or they, they'd seen him themselves or had friends or whatever great experiences. So I remember just looking him up in the directory, emailing him and kind of explaining the situation. And I got an email from him really quickly that he gave me his phone number and he told me a time to call, which was a weird time. It was like at, at seven o'clock at night or something like that. And to call his cell phone. So I did. And he, you know, he answered right away. And he explained to me that he was actually out of state at a medical conference. Like he was a speaker at a medical conference. He's, he's out of state. And he said, you know, I don't have access to my schedule, but I can tell you right now, he said, I'll get your results from the other doctor that you talked to. Don't worry about what he said. We're just going to take a look at what it is and come up with a game plan. And here's the number for my scheduler and get something scheduled. It's, you know, I've 
I've already told her to, to prioritize your appointment. And so, you know, while he was on a business trip, he took, and he had me, it was late. He was in the East on the East coast. So it was late at night after this conference that he had me call. And, and so hanging up that phone, I just instantly felt like coming back. That's my guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's my guy. To support the full of hope podcast, please go to the support the podcast page on full of hope podcast.com. If you believe in our goal to help people through difficult situations by being able to hear the positive outcomes of those who've been through them themselves, your support will be huge to help us grow. We went and met with him and he was a really interesting guy. And it it turns out that essentially the most complicated acute leukemia cases in the world would refer to him either for advice or if not treatment advice, like the best leukemia doctors in the world were asking him for what to do. So um, he didn't, he didn't say that, but I, I actually found that, found that out for somebody else. <laughs> That'd be a Here's weird introduction. Card. Yeah. He hands you his card. It actually says it on there under his name. <laughs> the greatest doctors in the world. Ever. So, so anyway, I, met with him and he was very, very uh, clearly a scientist, very much, you know, kind of facts and data, but really on the more positive side from the perspective that like, look, this is rare. We, we, we don't see this a lot, but here's, you know, here's what needs to happen and just kind of laid out what the game plan would be. And, um, and I told him that I didn't want to hear any odds because I, I had heard earlier that m- my percentage of ever getting in, into remission to receive the transplant was less than a percent. So of ever even being able, so I I told him I didn't want to hear any of that stuff. I just wanted to know the plan, and he was happy, you know, conveying that um, to me. He didn't I, quite get my sense that, of humor. Yeah. <laughs> okay, hang on a second. But that's a because your sense of humor is somewhat rare. But um, yeah, the the less than one percent, I think that's kind of an important piece. Now that you know, I've heard the story a couple of times. It's kind of why we're here, right? I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we don't want to necessarily hear percentages, right? But but knowing here's what really the odds are and here's where you're at right now, right? So every case is different and that's be careful going on Google, right? You know totally. It's not well, you. It's not it's not you. All of those cases are not exactly whoever's going through this. Couldn't you, yeah, you couldn't be more right in in every you know. One person, somebody gets to be that one percent, right? So why wouldn't it be you? That, that's that's the way I looked at it, and I think that's the way the listeners should look at it. You just focus on where, how do I get the best care? What makes the most sense for my situation? And just focus on that. There's almost no value in the fear and anxiety and misery element that definitely comes with all of this stuff. It doesn't produce any results right so so yeah i had very very long odds and uh you know 13 years later here i am so okay so now super brain scientific doctor yeah um who is now starting to learn who you are a little bit right (laughs) yeah because i'm one of those people that i like joking like the way i relate to people is by joking around and it probably took them a little while to get my, my humor. I think, I think most, it probably takes most people. Anymore. It's not him. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not just him. Take it. I know other people that it's, it's taking a while. 
it's not Dr. Petersdorf's sense of humor problem. Now, he actually was a super funny guy and really just, he and I became very close and a really caring father. And, you know, his kids played baseball as well. I was a baseball player and, and uh, we connected on that front and just Dr. Petersdorf, I will 100% say was, was my angel on earth. And, and just in, in what he did and his, his brains and compassion and um, his demeanor. I mean, I, I chair it. Honestly, I loved going in to see Dr. Petersdorf because I knew we were going to have a super interesting and fun conversation. And I was going to either confuse him or make him laugh really hard, but either way it was going to be fun. So, yeah. So basically he laid out the plan, which was, they were absolutely right. You have to have a transplant which means you have to get to complete remission to, to be able to have that transplant. So basically the, the plan was hit me with a really, really um, severe chemotherapy, hard, hardcore chemotherapy. And uh, that's called, they called that induction therapy. The doctors and nurses love to call chemotherapy. They love to call it therapy. Just therapy. Well, it sounds, sounds better, right? It sounds so, easier. Like if you have tennis elbow, right? It's, it's some therapy. Yeah. I'm just going to, you know, do this a little bit. I sounds mean, you hear, than... you hear other people call it chemo, right? Yeah, but that's what I'm, they, I'm... they, they lean on the, the therapy part of it. But, but anyway, hit me really hard with that stuff to get me into remission and then, um, and immediately start, start trying to type match me for a transplant like day one that was kind of the plan and then if they did get me into remission then i'd have to have every month or so i'd have to have like a week of lighter dose chemotherapy to keep the leukemia at bay so that i could receive that transplant that that was essentially that was really the the treatment plan so the goal was to get to transplant as soon as possible within you know months if if that could work out and so it's that confidence that I had and optimism and just peace I had that stayed with me. So I remember, you know, after hearing that plan and scheduling everything out, right. Like handling all the logistics for work. I was very, very fortunate that um, I was a computer programmer at the time. And, you know, my work was completely willing. The Boeing company who I've worked now there for, for almost 23 years was more than open to allowing me to work from the hospital um, if I could, if I was still healthy enough. So, you know, we were, that, that was essentially the plan was just, we're going to, I'm going to keep working as long as I can while I'm in the hospital. I'm going to get this chemotherapy. We're going to get to remission, get to transplant and, and all that kind of deal. So piece of cake, just piece of cake. Well, so that that's the other thing because I was so op optimistic that all of while I wasn't looking up data on on survival rates or anything like that, they do have to tell you that the doctors um, do have to tell you side effects of things that are, are coming your way, right? So they told me about all of it. And my mindset was just, yeah, you know, that happens for most people. But, you know, most people get really sick and headaches and throw up and, you know. Lose your hair. Yeah. All, all that stuff. And I, I, I had decided, you know, well... That's not going to, I'll be the one that doesn't. Right. So, <laughs> so I was super, and, and I remember going after we'd, we'd scheduled the actual like visit to the hospital to get everything done. 
on that first round of, of chemo or therapy, I remember, well, two things, all the, the while leading up to it, there are many, many appointments, right? To back and forth from, you know, I wasn't going into work. I was working from home, but going to Seattle and back, it's about an hour and a half drive or so from where I live. Generally, we know we started noticing after the first week or so, every freaking time we got in the car, no joke, the song, George Michael's song, Faith was playing on the radio. And it didn't always start off like it wasn't the first song that was playing, but we knew no matter what radio station we listened to, we were going to hear that song. It was crazy. That's super crazy. It was That's so crazy. It was just, it was bizarre. And it was bizarre because it wasn't like it was a new song. You know, even at that time, it was maybe 20 years old. I mean, it was definitely not a new song. So we heard that song all the time, Faith. And it was just it, we started just laughing about it because it was just, it was truly just it was really, really crazy. And then the other thing was driving the time, the morning that I we were driving to the hospital to check me in for the long-term stay. So we were expecting it to be about a six-week stay in the hospital for this first round of, of treatment. I just remember on the way to Seattle, I just had the, the Rocky theme in my head. What's the, yeah, the music part. Yeah. The music one there. So there's the, <clears throat> I can't, I can't remember the, the name of the, Oh, I have the tiger. So not, I have the tiger, but the actual music version of the, the Rocky theme. Um, and that's actually the music, the bumper music I'm going to use for this podcast. Like nice. the, yeah. So, but it, I just felt on the way there, I felt so strong and just invincible that there was just, I was just going to kick this leukemia's ass. That was like 100% my mindset going, going to the hospital. So yeah, that was really, really poignant in my mind was that, was that Rocky theme. So yeah, that's all, that's all the stuff that happened kind of leading up to me getting into the hospital. And once once I got in, they first do something where they put in what's called a Hickman line. So it's you've heard of a port probably, but essentially it's just something that goes goes into your chest uh, that they're able to do all the blood draws and administer all the medication through the through this amazing line. And it's it's called a Hickman line. It's actually named after Dr. Hickman, who is at the actually at the Hutch Fred Hutchinson's Cancer Research research center. So that was way cool. He didn't, act, he actually does do this, the procedure where he puts them in and takes them out, but he didn't, he didn't do mine, but it's his, it's his deal. But um, they put this line in and um, that's essentially just so you don't get stuck with a million needles. Right. A million. Yeah. And then, so, so I mentioned earlier, I, I hated shots, right. Just like everybody <clears> else, <throat> man, there were lots of blood draws, just manual blood draws leading up to it. And I got so used to it. I didn't even think anything of it at all. They're just, it's completely, there's nothing to it, right? Like these yeah. super, super easy, but, but nice now that they're not going to have to prick me to give any of the medications or take blood or anything like that. So, but they put, they put that sucker in and the next, I remember the next day waking up. So that was day one. And they were going to start chemo probably a couple days later because they have to make sure that that thing doesn't get infected. Yeah, or it's a, it's kind of a big, isn't it bigger and round? Or it's, it's not yeah. just a tiny little line going in, right? It's yeah, no, it's, it's now it's, an opening into the inside of your body. Exactly, totally. 
it's this really cool device. But but anyway, they have to wait a little bit. And so each day, and, and they they started type matching right away with the bone marrow registry to see if they can find a match. So and they, and they tested you know my family members and stuff like that as well. But every and and my mom came to stay with me in the hospital. Um, you know, Jen's at home. the the girls are Maddie's in school. Like she's got she's got sister June. She's Jen's got a one Haley was one and a half at the time. So Jen was at home, you know, handling all that stuff. Um, and so my mom was staying with me in the hospital, and she she stayed with me that whole first visit. But the, the, the morning after they put that thing in the next couple of days, they would come in and ask me how my Hickman, how it felt. And it was really sore. Like, you know, that whole area around where it was put in, um, very, very tender. Cause like you said, it's a big, it's a big thing that's now inside your body. And they're, I don't know. I, anyway, it was really, really sore. And they would come in in the morning and they would just press, how's your Hickman feel? And I'd tell them, that feels fine. And then they press on my collarbone and press all around it. Does that hurt? And I'm, I'm going, yeah. yes, I told you that. Like, you don't have to push on it to know it hurts. So any medical professionals, if you're listening to the podcast, if somebody tells you something hurts, you don't have to push on it to see if it makes it hurt more. Like, just take their, take their, word, for take it. their word for it. It definitely, it definitely hurts. But yeah, so... So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm preparing essentially at that point to get, to get my chemotherapy. And so, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'd recommend to everybody, particularly if you're going to have a long stay um, and times are different now, I think with social media, it's even easier than it was back then. I think we had, there was Facebook that existed or MySpace or whatever, but I signed up for something that unfortunately doesn't exist. The particular one i I signed up for doesn't exist anymore, but there are other ones. Um, and it's essentially a blogging site. So they have something called caring bridge. Um, I think it's caringbridge.org where you can go it and, and set up a profile and then people can follow, you know, you can post blogs about what's happening and people can follow it and comment and all that kind of deal. That for me was huge. Just kind of throughout my entire treatment. I, I really loved posting about what was happening, things, things that I found funny about what was happening and just kind of keeping people informed, but then just getting people's encouraging words and hearing that others are praying for me. I, I was very, profoundly impacted, I think, by the power of prayer and just how many people there were that were doing that for me and supporting me. And, and you know, way more people were supporting me than a lot of them I, I didn't even know directly, right? It was just, you know, was, friends of friends. And yeah, I was thinking throughout this, you're making connections, whether or not like now this, this is your life, like full focus totally. for the most part, right? So totally. Um, you're going to build those connections or have them anyways, make yeah. them yeah. over, over this period of time. So yeah. Um, be there to support each other. So yeah, get that, find that blog or that way to connect yeah. with, with those who are either experiencing it or have. And It's so powerful. I, I feel like it was the first thing I did every day was wake up and look, you know, open up my, my care page and see, See who po who responded. Mostly, I thought I was super funny, so I just wanted to see who was liking all my jokes. 
I just got to be honest about that. Mm. Uh, so, um, but speaking of making connections, you know, once we started, once we started chemotherapy, which was, I think, a seven-day regimen, you know, one of the things that you're, you're really supposed to do as a patient is walk around to, to keep up and moving and stay healthy and things like that. So I would walk around and just go visit other people because, you know, I mentioned earlier when I went to the doctor the first time to have the blood draw that I felt fine. I still felt fine. I, I, I still felt like, in, in fact, I remember after I, after I checked in and had that Hickman put in, the first time I talked with the oncologist, I said, hey, I promise you, I will not sue anybody if you guys are wrong. But I still feel like before we do this chemo, like I'm pretty sure I'm healthy because I felt great. I felt strong. I felt better than ever. Like I've got, you know, Jesus in my heart, like crazy, just fighting for me. If Rocky's going on, faith's like playing all over. So I felt super. So I, yeah, I, I anyway. You I just double check the results real quick before you just pound me with a million I, times. I told him because it's not that it, it, it wasn't denial out of fear. It was just denial out of like what I'm feeling. I felt great. So anyway, but because I'm feeling so great, I, you know, I'm walking around and, and I would just kind of knock on everybody's door and see if anybody wanted a visitor or company or whatever, because other people were in much worse shape. Than, than I felt at the time. So I started just connecting with other patients and getting to know them and why are, you know, what brought, it, it was a leukemia floor. So everybody there had leukemia, but you know, what brought you here? You, you, you know, what were your symptoms and how are you feeling now? And what's your plan and who's your doctor? And so, you know, one thing that came of that actually is, is a woman that I became, my, my wife and I became very close with her, her and her husband and, and um, kind of throughout the process, she had, her oncologist was that same doctor that I'd seen the first time that Satan, that, Satan, that I thought was the devil. And when she said she had him, I was just like, oh, geez, you know, is there anything we can do about that? She loved him. He was great for her. And I talked to several other people that liked having him. So, you know, whatever happened that first day, I feel like that had to happen. I feel like that was, that was God's plan saying, look, you made an appointment with the wrong dude, you know? So we got to do something to scare the crap out of you to get you. And it, that's what it took. Had it been anything other than that, just think about that. Had the experience just been normal, right? Yeah. Not completely cruising down the road with that. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, keep looking, you know? So, so that was, that was a kind of amazing to realize was the number of people that seemed to like that other, that other doctor. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm walking around and connecting with people and, uh, Remember, Dr. Petersdorf had told me this first round of chemo, they were throwing the kitchen sink at me. I mean, I was healthy. I was in good shape. Again, hadn't abused my body. So they could hit me with the hardest stuff that they had. And I'm going through this treatment and expecting to get sick and tired and nauseous. Now, I did have some weird stuff, um, just like allergic reactions. Um 
remember I had a rash on my entire body, just like itching, like you wouldn't believe. So some allergic stuff, but none of the, none of the nausea or other things that you would typically associate with really hardcore chemotherapy. And so I started thinking, oh my God, I'm kind of amazing at getting cancer. Like, <laughs> like, like, like this is supposed I've to be heard hard. Some really bad stories about chemo, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I, so yeah, I would be expecting horrible things. Yeah, horrible that's thing. and it didn't happen. And I'm just going. I'm like, I'm just, I'm so dominating. Rocky's just so much. I was, yeah, I was. I was bummed to be away from my kids for sure. Cause I, that had never happened. I, I, I've never spent time away from them like that. So definitely that was really, really, uh, you know, a, a challenge, but I, I just felt like I'm completely incredible at, at getting cancer and I'm, this is gone. Like it's gone. It's probably already gone at this point. I probably don't even need a transplant, frankly, but, um, but one thing that did happen after the first night of that that treatment the chemo they gave me some anti-nausea medication right so you know they've got tons of options for that they gave me some anti-nausea medication so i took that and went to bed with you know that and ativan it, pretty much everybody's on the sleeping aid just because it's really you know even though i was quite confident it is very challenging to sleep so i'd taken those things and that first night after my, they'd given me that medication, the gravity of the situation that I was going to be in that room, that small hospital floor, I couldn't leave the hospital floor. So I was going to be on that floor and in that tiny room for up to six weeks, you know, and I didn't know how much I'd be able to see the girls and Jen and just the entire gravity of all of it started really grasping me very hard that night. And I really spiraled that one night. I completely spiraled and felt completely devastated, terrified, very, very um, claustrophobic. I'm not exaggerating. I was on the seventh floor. Um, I'm not exaggerating that I can, I actually thought of, I'm not going to be able to, I couldn't get out of here through the elevator because they would stop. They would stop me, right? You're not able, allowed to use that floor. But I actually thought of a plan to like throw a chair out the window so I could jump out the window. I, I was just like, and I didn't even think about the fact it would probably kill me. It was either I need, I have to get out of here or I, I'm going to lose my mind. And my mom was in the room with me, like she was asleep, you know, at, at that time. So that's probably one of the reasons why it, I didn't follow through on it, because I w just wouldn't have been able to, she was laying in front of this stupid window I wanted to jump out of. So that would have really hampered my plans. Um, so so that I, I slept horrible that night, just completely terrified, completely spiraled. All my confidence was gone. And somehow I managed to get sleep. And when I woke up the next morning, um, the nurse, you know, asked how everything was. And I said, you know, Hey, I had this really weird thing happen last night where I, I felt completely were you, terrified. Were you okay now? Less yeah. In the morning, I felt fine. Okay. In, in the morning, it was all completely gone. And I explained what had happened. My mom was kind of rip shit at me because, um, 
She's like, why didn't you say something? <laughs> like she's hearing me tell the nurse that all this stuff. And she's like, what the heck? Cause I told him like, I, I wanted to jump out the window. And my mom was like, what you were going to jump over? Me? Like, what the heck? <laughs> That's what I'm here for is to help. But anyway, so I'm explaining all this stuff to the nurse and just saying, this is going to be horrible. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I thought I was super confident and apparently not. Well, it turns out I just had a very adverse reaction to the anti-nausea medication and uh, it's called an EPS response. Well, you, you know, like when you hear um, different medications, right? Like suicidal thoughts or feelings yeah. or whatever, yeah. <clears throat> that's exactly what I had. And yeah. Did they tell you that ahead of time? I mean, you said they, no, they, anti-nausea medicine. If they did, I didn't, I didn't pay attention. Right. Like they very well may have, but I don't remember it, but um, all we did was switch to a different one. And that was the one, the singular time where I had any deviation from that, that, optimism and confidence and just faith that the right thing was going to happen. So that was a, that was a really crazy thing. So if you're on a medication in anywhere and you have any abnormal kind of mental stuff happening, let somebody know as, as soon as possible. Cause my brain didn't even think about the fact I could be responding to the medication. I just thought this was my new mentality and that, you know, I'd been fooling myself, I guess, to, to be confident, but wow. yeah, crazy, crazy over, you know, over rotation, I guess on, on yeah. feelings, but, but anyway, so, you know, I, I go through the, the full, the full treatment. Well, so to the timeline wise, right. So yeah. it's a, you know, so I, I've never, I've never had cancer, right? And I've heard this story a couple of times now in bits and pieces, but I don't know anything, right? So I don't know what our listeners of, you know, what, what they're going through, but I try to keep, first of all, I'm dumb. So you got to explain the I can, acronyms and stuff. Yeah. Um, you're not going to get any argument from me about yeah, that. Yeah. No. I didn't ever say you were, did you notice? I never said you were, I said you were nice. Yes. Yeah. 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 And and yeah, so, um, okay, so treatment, <laughs> I'm nice. Treatment is, is seven days, right? So you get checked in, you get a couple of days to get settled with your Hick yeah. Hickman device. Hickman, yeah. Seven days where they start. Pew, pew, pew. The first night when you did the, when you went, went batty. Yeah. Uh, did you already have a chemo? Yeah. Did they already pump you full of it? So, yep. They had just started that day. So okay. this anti-nausea stuff was to, to address the chemotherapy, right? Okay. To help with, with that chemotherapy. So and, they had just started. seven days from there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Every day. Yeah. And every day, you know, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling energy. I don't feel sick. Again, very itchy. I think I had, I had a, an allergic reaction, but, but every, it, you know, I'm like the mayor. I felt like the mayor of the seventh floor of UW medicine because I'm just making friends and connections and Get just some babies. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was like, you guys, this is, we can do this. You know what I mean? I just felt so inspired that, you know, this medication that's supposed to be so horrible on such a horrible disease, I'm feeling great. So I'm that, I'm that shining example of we can do this. Right. So I wanted to share that with as many people as I could even early on. Um, and, and so I did want to give a couple tips like pro tips on people that, that 
if you end up needing to get, you know, go to the hospital or whatever for I, even just overnight. But I was there for an extended period of time. But a couple things that pretty quickly identified. So first of all, see if you can be um, in a room that's not near the elevator. Because those freaking ding. elevators ding all ding. dang night. Exactly. I feel like more people are using the elevator at night than during the day. Obviously, they can't be true. It just seems like it. But, oh, my gosh. So try to stay away from an elevator. Also, the nurses didn't see – and this this is not a knock on them, but there were no qualms about just – they had to check my vitals regularly, right? So no qualms about just walking in and flipping the lights on like in the middle of the night. So address that, either talk to them about it, or I actually started using the super fancy thick eye shades. Yeah, Batman. Batman. It was thick and cloth and, you know, nice. padded. And so use that. And then earplugs. I, I got into earplugs. Um, here's the problem with those things. You get used to them so fast. That then you become that weird person that can't sleep without eye shades oh. and earplugs. <laughs> oh. I, I had, it took me years to taper off of the eye shades, first of all. And then just now, and this is 13 years later, just now I can sleep regularly without earplugs. And really? I still, you, you slept with earplugs ever since 13 years now. Dude, it, the only reason, okay. Peeling the curtain back again. The only reason I'm now not sleeping with earplugs is because I get my earplugs at work and my dogs have eaten all my earplugs and I can't go back into work. <laughs> I mean, technically, I could probably go buy some, but I'm just using this as my excuse to finally wean myself off of off the earplugs. But while you're in the hospital, though, right? Like, the light light thing is a problem. So eye shades, earplugs. If you can, either request a fridge or bring in like a, one of the tiny like solo fridges because it's nice just to have. You know where I was at, the food was actually great, but it's just it takes a while. So you know when you need to eat or drink or whatever, if you're thirsty, it's nice to have a fridge that you can store some food and, and drink and stuff. And so, I don't know, those are, those are kind of the, I guess, pro tips for staying, staying in the hospital. A couple other, uh, I guess, just observations. So first of all, the ability to work, if you can find something to focus on, doesn't have to be work, but just something to focus on to keep your mind off of, you know, either your misery or fear or anxiety, whatever that might be missing your kids. That was a huge one for me and wife. So for me, being able to work was, was huge. And I'm super thankful to, to the Boeing company for allowing me to do that. That was, that was massive. Let's see, you know, we've mentioned humor. So I kind of, my whole life, I think I've just used humor as my way to connect with people. And so just kind of finding, even though it's a scary situation and, in so much unknown funny stuff happens when you're in the hospital like it just it just does so w one of the one of the things that will happen to everybody if you're in the hospital for any extended time is your nurses will come in or doctor but usually nurses and i feel like they if company is there to visit you but they've taken a break they've like gone down to the cafeteria or whatever they're not in the room 
your nurses will avoid this conversation until your your company is with you. So they'll wait until you have a full room and th their favorite question to ask you is when was the last time you had gas? Like they just love it. I don't know what it is, but there's always someone in the room when they ask. Yeah, they they may desperately need to know it, but they're not going to ask until there's somebody else. Like I, this just feels like this was maybe just me, but so constantly asking when you last had gas. So the best defense and it never it's never not funny is it's of course you have to answer right but then quickly follow up with asking the nurse when the last time she had gas was so just flip that bad boy right around and it diffuses the situation and um sometimes they'll answer and sometimes not they're always curious about gas um and then the other thing so oh my gosh i'm just realizing something about myself a lot of the things I find interesting and funny are, are butt related because maybe I'll have to find a mirror and see what that means about me, but temperature, they always have to take your temperature, right? So, so they'll either put the thermometer in, in your mouth or they can, you can put it under your armpit. And now I'm sure they use the temporal one that are just the scan thing, Yeah. but yeah. this was all manual all the time. So I would usually... I would usually wait till I had an audience to ask, you know, and to just kind of lean over and ask for option three um, for getting my temperature done, which be careful what you wish for, because they will do it. Now they didn't because I, I rolled over too quickly, but, but um, while I always just thought it would be funny, they were like more than, more than willing to oblige, you know, that would so, go right in there. They it, will. Yeah. They'd it, be like, Hey, yeah do this i can do this all day they're thinking so it is but that's that's three that's three the hemorrhoid but yeah 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 mm -hmm. yeah i don't know yeah. so um a couple other things you know kind of i leaned i leaned on definitely that connection i had through through the care page that i filled out it's now caringbridge.org but using that in receiving and hearing prayer from people i was lucky enough to have a very supportive wife that was able to take care jen was able to take care of everything at home i didn't have to worry about any of that and she really didn't like i said like all the fear she must have had and concern and stuff like she put none of that at all on me and that just allowed me again, to just focus on the plan and, you know, and executing on whatever they were asking me to do. That was really, really amazing. You know, it's, it's, I thought I was not only did, did I think I was just super awesome at getting chemotherapy and beating cancer. I also thought I was super clever because when my hair started falling out, I had, I thought, oh gosh, well, this will be weird for the girls, right? Could be scary. Next time they see me, I'll be bald. And I didn't want to freak them out. So we set it up. So the next time they came over after my hair started falling out, they brought in the technicians and they brought in a clip set of clippers and the girls, I had the girls shave my head, you know, like it's there, they're doing it and it was fun for them. And, you know, they got a kick out of it nice. and yeah. And it, and, and it was cool. Um, they did that. And um, that way it took the sting away from, you know, not seeing me with any hair. I think either that night after they did that or the next day, I think I was kind of proud of myself with the nurse or uh, whoever was in the room with me. I was talking to him about it. 
how clever it was, you know, essentially like I, I was high-fiving myself for doing this awesome yeah, thing. Cause you had this idea. A great idea. And yeah. he's like, yeah, um, like that's what everybody, everybody does that. <laughs> so I thought it was really cl- like they, but they never mentioned it. Why didn't they, anyway? Why didn't they give you as an option then? Yeah. Hey, oh, I don't know. Maybe they let people feel like they're, they can be a hero by coming up with the idea. Um, but I, I definitely, I definitely leaned on that. So we went through the whole first round. I dominated. I felt great. They, they came in to test my bone marrow um, to see the, the results. And essentially it was a clinical failure. So it did virtually nothing to the leukemia. Which that may explain what, why you're felt so good. Cause maybe they were just giving me water accidentally. It was just an accidental placebo. I don't know what it was, but yeah, it could explain why I felt so great. Cause it did not next to nothing at all. And so now we're in a scary zone because when they do that first round of chemotherapy, it's such a heavy dose and bad, like real legit chemo, right? That your body needs a lot of time to recover before doing anything else. And so now what it does is it knocks all your counts down, all your immune system counts and everything down really, really far. So it did that, but it didn't do anything virtually to the chemotherapy or to the, the leukemia. So you know, then it's, then it's time to regroup and got, got with Dr. Petersdorf. And it's essentially what ended up happening was he kind of picked the, the, the part it, it did a little bit. It knocked back the leukemia just a little bit. And he picked the part of that cocktail, the, the, the chemotherapy cocktail they'd given me, he picked the part of it that he thought was the, the one that was most effective or effective at all. And decided they were going to administer that just as it's by itself in super high dose for a really long time. And they were going to redo a new whole round of um, induction therapy. So rather than just getting one round, I'm going to get two um, super hardcore chemotherapies and separated by a few days. And you were saying usually... Like you got to take some time off. It's four to six weeks before you come back in. Remember how I mentioned they were going to do induction first, like this hardcore stuff, and then come back for maintenance. It's called consolidation chemo. Yeah, yeah. So that's like four to six weeks afterwards. Yeah, but because your body needs time to recoup, but they we didn't have that time. So now it's time, you know, to to try something new and even harder core and for a longer a longer period of time, and that was going to be the plan. Uh, for, for moving on, I, I'll say so. I, I think it's we're we're probably at time for this episode, um, but uh, but this is this is the point where when when we go to the next round, um, that's when stuff gets really a lot more real. I'm I'm feeling less like a champ. I'm a lot. It's it's a lot. It's the chemotherapy they they chose the second time uh, had some serious effects on on me and. Um, and so kind of the, I guess the honeymoon, the honeymoon's over for, for my treatment plan. And, uh, and I, I think that's probably a good spot to. The Rocky theme is fading. No, I still look, I still felt inspired. I, I still felt, you know, um, encouraged and positive and all that stuff. It's just that 
about to get my butt kicked is what what really is about to happen so you know i think i think we'll wrap for today and then uh and then we'll 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 pick up the next part of it in the next episode thank you so much for listening to and sharing the podcast to find information about today's episode how to support the podcast or find out how you can share your story go to fullofhopepodcast.com all of our social media info is there or you can just look on all platforms for full of hope podcast in the next episode we'll continue ryan's story as his treatment gets much more intense and until next time this is rj reminding you that ryan's story is living proof there is so much reason to be full of hope